0: is a CNIB Foundation podcast. The content in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. CNIB does not make guarantees about the comprehensiveness or accuracy of the content. CNIB and the podcast participants assume no responsibility for how you use the information provided. If you require legal advice about a specific issue, contact a lawyer or community legal clinic.
1: Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of the CNIB's Know Your Rights podcast. My name's Jacob Cherndoff, and I'll be your host for today's episode, which is all about education and human rights. And we're gonna be specifically focused on post-secondary education. Today, I'm joined by Hina Gauss, who is a human rights lawyer and also volunteers at the Arch Disability Law Center, along with Alicia Chenye, who is a fourth year early childhood education student. And Alicia, I know that you've had some issues regarding your your rights as as a student, and I'd love to learn a little bit more about what's been going on.
0: Yeah, sure. So I started um at my college four years ago, and really that like it, it's I've noticed that there was a huge difference between uh, college and high school specifically. So I really had to take the accommodations and the um, accessibility under my own my own wing. Um, if you if you will. Um, and really, you know, like having to step up because in high school, it's basically like, you know, the teachers get papers and it's all laid out for them. So it's been pretty, it's been a long journey of accessibility and figuring out my rights and my accommodations.
1: I, I, I totally get you on that one. I, I definitely remember, um, you know, for myself going through that exact process of trying to figure out how to transition, um, you know, from secondary school to, to post secondary. How have you managed to, um, you know, navigate that that challenging situation?
0: Yeah, so I, it's funny, because I like, I, to often say I minor in uh, accessibility but uh, major in my early childhood education but I think it's just taking it day by day um, and really having that connection with my accessibility advisor and with my professors and my uh, program coordinator and keeping that connection open because you know classes I'm thankful like I go to a smaller college where there's only like up to 40 of us in a classroom at once but that's not it like but you know there's still a lot of students so some profs might not know you unless you speak up
1: and do you find that you're um you find that you're res- more responsible for informing your profs individually or do you feel that the accessibility department has um you know done their their job and you know explaining what accommodations uh you need to succeed in your classes
0: so It's been because there's been many transitions, I guess, with the pandemic, too. So a lot of it is done through an online um, system now, like an automated system where I have access to sending them my like, I can just click a button. And then for each semester, my profs will get an accommodation letter saying the student has a disability um, or needs accommodations. Um, But it I would say nine, like 90% of that communication is me. And then, If things tend to, you know, not go in my favor, if I'm having a little bit of accommodation problems within um, a class, if a prof is unaware or just not really um, meeting those accommodation needs, then that's when I would bring my, um, my advisor
1: in to help. Okay. And, and the, the types of accommodations you need, is that something that, you know, your educational institutes easily able to accommodate? Have you had any challenging situations where you maybe weren't um, the, the most accommodated, anything like that?
0: Yeah. So there's a few things. I, I think there's based like there's two things that come to mind in this. One was when I first started out at the college and before I even like got into the program I would visit my college every week because I had known that's the college I was going to I was staying in my town or my city um so I was visiting there with my or my orientation and mobility instructor um and we would visit the accessibility people there um but we couldn't really start anything until I was guaranteed in the program and I was actually going to be a student there
2: mm-hmm.
0: um but I had noticed already that I need like the the physical environment was just not accessible. Um, for me, that includes like marking like yellow on the stairs for me to be able to see up and down.
1: And and it sounds like you've had to do a lot of advocating for yourself. Can can you tell me a little bit about how you've done that and if you found that to be a successful um, route to getting the the responses and the accommodations that you need?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So for me, with that specific situation, uh, with navigating my physical environment, I was trying to figure out who to actually go to. So I managed to get in touch with the head of my accessibility um, services center. And then through that, I was actually able to set up a meeting with her and a few of the other heads of the actual uh, college. And we were able to do a whole walk around of the college, basically them with a bunch of clipboards and, you know, jotting down Mm -hmm. kind of what needed to be fixed and kind of how I could, you know, be safe in my own environment.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, it's almost surprising that this, this seems like this was the first time that this school had encountered... Um, you know, having to accommodate in college. Um, I I met with, uh, I can't remember who it was, but there was basically a form that was uh, filled out, not by me, because I couldn't see it. So maybe not the, the best process <laughs> up front. But, um, and there was a whole kind of audit um, on the accommodations that I would need to be successful granted those weren't um, I, I ran into similar issues as yourself but there were some elements that were put in place which I was actually pleasantly surprised about did you have a similar experience with that as uh, you know something prior to beginning your education?
0: I guess the, the, the closest I can really relate to was um, having like CNIB was involved since the start and really helping me get accommodated and all that but I did like get set up with like when I was confirmed like when I got my acceptance letter and started that um I was able to meet and get an accessibility advisor and then we basically went through everything that needed to be done within the classroom but at the time we didn't necessarily think about outside of the classroom which is two very different things right it's Mm -hmm. Um, so they were able to help me with that, but I had to really take it to a higher level when it came to the whole physical area, because, you know, there's, there was things like the accessibility advisor was able to help me in the classroom, but when it came to the whole college, it's very different.
1: Yeah. And, and I guess with, uh, it sounds like you've done some amazing work advocating for yourself and I'm, I'm sure that the institution's, you know, grateful for that. Um, it's probably opened, um, or shine some light onto areas that they weren't conscious of, have they been open and receptive to your input and advocacy?
0: Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Because of me, there was a, there was me and a few other students a few years back and um, through another event, we just started talking about, you know, how it's really hard for students with just like, not just vision loss. It's hard for students with any type of uh, disability to be a student in this day and age. Like, you know, with like there's accommodations, but it's still very hard and things that need to be shed light on. Mm -hmm. So uh, the college actually allowed us to um, create an event called Access Equals Love, which is surrounding um, the week of Valentine's Day where we, you know, all these students, like there's a bunch of different organizations come in and talk about um, different supports that are in place. So like CNIB, uh, the Canadian Hearing Loss Association and all of those. Um, and then at the end of the week, the students on this, uh, committee for access equals love, we, um, make a panel and we talk about our lives and our, um, lived experiences within post-secondary. And it's really safe, open space for profs and staff and anyone to come and ask us questions and how they can better their classes.
1: That's, that's amazing. Congratulations for, uh, Mm -hmm. For you know, spearheading that really, um, I, I think that's so important and amazing to to hear that you're you know advocating for change not only for yourself but for other students and helping you know the institution understand um, you know what accommodation really means. And before I kind of start um, you know getting into more of the the legal side of things, so just bear with me a moment, Hina. Um, I'm curious to know, um, Alicia, how you found. What accommodations were appropriate for you? How did that process work? Did that change going from high school to post-secondary? Did you have a really strong foundation coming into high school? I'd love to hear a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, so my accommodation journey has been quite the the journey. in high school. I think I was in grade twelve. We had a huge assessment done with W. Ross, which is um, a school for the blind um, out in Toronto. They came. And they came and uh, assessed me and basically helped figure out, like, you know, did a bunch of tests on me, Um, you know, like just like assessments and all that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then they were able to actually put together a whole um, letter and list of the recommendations for accommodations for me that I could bring to college. Um, So some of these requiring large print documents um, and handouts, um, extra time on tests and assignments. Um, different due dates having my textbooks enlarged as well right. um, so I don't think a lot has changed um, necessarily my font size has changed because there's a lot more reading in college in my eyes I've definitely gotten tired
1: I, um, I can imagine yeah. um, that that's really great that you've had such, um, support, um, finding yeah. accommodations, um, through that process. It sounds like a really amazing program. Um, my question for you is, do you have any, um, advice for anybody who might be listening, who's kind of going through a similar, uh, journey right now trying to find what accommodations work for them you you really nailed it that it, it is a journey um, I've been there myself and um, it, it's a lot of trial and error from my experience but do you have any insight or any helpful tips um, to share with any of our listeners
0: yeah um, something that I found was you know connecting with your accessibility advisors and being open if they have things like try any accommodate like try accommodations out try try the voice to text, try the, um, you know, computer software, like the different softwares. Um, yeah, try it. And if it doesn't work, there's always another option.
1: Yeah. I think that's really, really great advice and, and highly relatable. Um, yeah. you know, there's so much out there and it, it really is a trial and error process. And
0: uh, some, can I add something? One more thing too. Yeah. Of course. yeah. So, um, just don't, be afraid to speak up if there's something that doesn't work for you like an accommodation or is there something that you need do not be afraid it's your you know you have the right
1: yeah i I think that's you know that that's such helpful advice and, and a really good segue into you know what our rights are um, as uh, individuals who have visible or invisible difference when it comes to education? Do do we need to be um, you know advocating for ourselves in the way that you've done such an amazing job or should it be more of an expectation um, when we enter an educational setting? So Hina, I'd love to hear your opinion on kind of Alicia's circumstance and what the institution may have been uh, maybe required to do or how they may have handled this situation a little differently.
2: Hmm. So what I think that's really interesting about Alicia's story is how she mentions that it's really an accommodation journey. So if you look at elementary schools and high schools, uh, the schools generally take more of a proactive approach when they're coming towards accommodations. I mean, uh, you know, elementary schools, um, high schools, they have specific legislation that applies. And so they have more of that proactive responsibility. When you go forward into post-secondary institutions such as colleges and universities, it really lands on the student to advocate for themselves to inform the institution that they have a disability and they require accommodation. So that's why Alicia's journey of showing how well she's advocated for herself, um, it's, it's really inspiring because that's thats what you're supposed to do. But it's its definitely not an easy thing, especially to say, um, this isn't working for me, I need something else. So, I mean, Alicia's a prime example of what can work, but there's a lot of situations where it's difficult for people to navigate uh, the post-secondary accommodations.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think that that's where a lot of confusion um, might come up. So one thing, Hina, you just mentioned that I wasn't aware of that um, elementary and secondary schools have uh, some sort of legislature that requires them to uh, kind of be a little bit more involved in the accommodation process. And in post-secondary, that might not be the case. Why Why do you think that is?
2: So I don't know why that is. It might just be because it's a little easier to legislate for, you know, public schools and high schools, and because the students are so much younger, um, you have these processes in place where. Um, They label students um, with different labels such as exceptional and then they provide them with um, different supports that they might need at a very young age Uh, because students are not able to accommodate for or um, advocate for themselves necessarily at the elementary school level. Now, why this isn't the same at the post-secondary level, I don't know. But um, you know, we have we have legislation that applies uh, both to elementary school and the post-secondary level, such as Ontario's Human Rights Code. So there are these over these overlapping legislations, but it's just that the lower the um, junior level schools also have the Education Act to support accommodation. Cool. Good
1: to know. I actually didn't know that. So thank you for sharing um, that uh, that that was uh, the law. So that's all. It's always fun to learn uh, new stuff on these episodes. So I guess my question would be kind of diving right into the topic of what what are the rights um, for those who require uh, accommodation and maybe don't have the same, um, you know, tenacity and advocacy skills um, that Alicia did to get the the accommodation she needs. How would somebody approach that um, if they didn't necessarily know how to navigate um, as well as Alicia has?
2: Well, the the way I would start is to make sure that you know what your rights are. So um, students with disabilities, including sight loss, they have the right to receive a meaningful education without discrimination because of their disability. So that means educational institutions such as post-secondary institutions, they actually have a legal duty to accommodate students with disabilities. So that means the educational institution is legally required to provide a student with the supports that they might need to receive that equal education. And so it's the educational institution's responsibility up to a certain point to provide you with what you need.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I think that's, uh, I, I'm gonna just kind of shift um, the conversation slightly here um, and use myself as an example. Um, that kind of might highlight some of those areas of, you know, up to a certain point or what might be reasonable accommodation. Um, so, as some of you may know, um, I was declined accommodation to write a professional exam a few years ago. And the um, rationale that was given was that the accommodations that I requested were unreasonable and was proposed to um, have other accommodations that I felt were unreasonable. So in a situation like that, what is a reasonable accommodation?
2: Mm -hmm. So if we look at the word accommodation, what accommodations could be are really either changes to the physical environment or changes to the service that will allow you to better access and benefit from the education. So um, there's no one accommodation that will fit for everybody. Um, accommodation is sort of is sort of like a spectrum. So on one end, you might have what's the best accommodation for you, um, what you might need in that situation. But it's an assessment that involves um, what you need and what the institution is also able to provide. So um, what is the best accommodation? If, if the institution can't provide it right away, Um, what they have a responsibility to do is to provide you with what are called interim accommodations, which means an accommodation in the meantime while they try to figure out how to give you the best accommodation or try to figure out how to give you the next best accommodation. So if they can't give you your ideal accommodation, they might give you an alternative accommodation, but throughout that whole time, um, you're not just sitting there with nothing. You have something to make sure you can still meaningfully access your education. So it's really a very specific exercise about what um, what the student needs and how they can impose that in the institution.
1: So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one who brings up the the legal jargon today because um, I think it's relevant to this. So how would kind of the point of undue hardship tie into a discussion like this? Um, you know, I know you've been kind of uh, tiptoeing around the the idea there. But if you could just explain to our listeners a little bit about what that means and how it may pertain to um, a, a situation in an educational institution.
2: Right. So you've heard me say that an educational institution has to provide accommodation up to a certain point. The legal term for that certain point is undue hardship. So undue hardship really means if a service provider Can demonstrate that it's very difficult to accommodate a student with a disability with a certain type of accommodation, then the service provider does not have to provide it. Now reaching this point of undue hardship is not easy. It's a very, very, very high legal threshold. So the the Ontario Human Rights Code, it actually only provides um, three things that go into the assessment of whether an institution reaches the point of undue hardship. So they look at costs to the institution, they look at considering outside sources of funding, and they look at health and safety. So what that means is if an institution finds that an accommodation, it's just inconvenient or it's a little expensive, that's not enough of a reason to say no. It has to really reach that very high legal limit of undue hardship for them to deny it.
1: Yeah. And thank you for, um, beautifully articulating that. Um, and the reason I just wanted to highlight that was because I think it's really important for people to understand that, um, that concept and that, you know, protective measure, um, that is there for, you know, those of you who are going through, um, post-secondary education, or if you have friends or family that might be, um, in a similar circumstance with that. So, um, You know, I guess this comes up a lot in um, the other episodes as well, is how does that pertain to different provinces within Canada? Are there different um, kind of um, legalities around accommodation uh, in different provinces? Is it a standard kind of clause in all of Canada? I'd love to know a little bit more if, um, if there's differences from province to province.
2: Right. So generally speaking, uh, each province has its own human rights legislation and within each of those human rights legislations, there's protected social areas and protected grounds. Um, I'm pretty confident that in all of the provinces, education falls under the area of services, so it is a protected area. Right. So and disability is a protected ground. So um, students with disabilities across Canada in their own provinces have these similar rights. So that's that's something you can rely on Um, here in Ontario, our Ontario Human Rights Code, which is our provincial legislation. um, It actually is called quasi constitutional legislation sometimes. And what that means is that it takes um, precedence or primacy over other Ontario laws, unless the other Ontario law specifically says otherwise. That means if there's sort of a conflict, the Human Rights Code will prevail. So that's a really important thing to know about human rights legislation.
1: Thanks so much for sharing that. Um, and I have a little bit of a curveball because it wouldn't be a fun po- podcast episode if I uh, if we didn't have some. Uh, keeping our participants on their toes. So let's say that Alicia is an Ontario resident, but she is in a an education, a post-secondary um, institution that is in uh, British Columbia. How does that work mm-hmm. with cross-border provincial um, human rights issues?
2: So um, this is going back to law school and jurisdictional issues, but um... What my understanding is, if she's going to um, a school in British Columbia, and that's where the discriminatory event happened, she would go to that tribunal, just because she's an Ontario resident wouldn't mean she would come back here and then try to try to bring a claim. Um, She would go to the British Columbia Human Rights Tribunal and apply that act.
1: Okay. Um, Good to know. I was actually curious about that because I know, especially with post-secondary, there is a lot of, um, you know, traveling going on um, within Canada. So um, I I think the rule of thumb here is always to check with, um, you know, a a local um, legal institution that, you know, can best advise you um, on that front and um, always to reference um, any of the the links that are in the the description of the podcast below for more information about, um, you know, what your rights are and to always, um, you know, consult uh, a legal expert um, with regards to any kind of claims that you may be um, considering. So, I mean, here's here's where I kind of take things from, uh, you know, what I've heard from Hina and Alicia, and I just want to thank both of you for taking the time to, you know, chat today. Both of you have provided such great insight and perspective on the topic. I think the biggest takeaway here is that, you know, accommodation is uh, it's important to be really aware of what is going to set you as a student up for success, to be conscious, to be aware, to take responsibility um, for, for your education, for the accommodations that are going to set you up for, you know, uh, a successful education. And, you know, there's a lot of resources that are out there. Um, Alicia has done an amazing job of, you know, connecting with those resources. The CNIB is always, um, you know, a fantastic resource to reference. Um, And, you know, speaking to other people in the community, speaking to the school in advance um, and you know, finding out how they might be able to assist you in developing an accommodation plan to once again set yourself up for success. Um, I, I know that that's something that um, you know has been important for me is to to really understand what what technologies, what's what you know, different approaches are going to allow me to be as successful. Um, As possible, whether it's my personal or professional life, and to to rely on those um, to make sure that they're available, that I'm comfortable with the um, the accommodation so that I I can do, you know, my my best studying or my best work or whatever it's going to be. So, I, I mean, that's what I'd like to leave Everybody, with today um, is to to really take a role in your accommodation. Obviously, um, you know, understanding what your rights are as a person with visible or invisible difference is really important, but you know the last case scenario should be filing um, some sort of formal complaint and you know trying to find a resolution and in alicia's circumstance helping the uh institution understand how to better accommodate i mean that is such a a beautiful example of um advocacy um, not only for yourself but for the betterment of other students in the future so you know well done alicia um before we wrap up today do either of you have any closing remarks
0: Um, It's Alicia. I think something too when approaching your profs and if say if you have a prof that's a little bit, I guess, hesitant or not wanting to do the accommodations for me, I would like had a large papers and really getting sitting down with them and like because I had one and saying like, oh, this is just something extra for you. Um, Really telling them that this is not like make like this isn't putting me above anyone. It's making me equal. My accommodations are what make me equal in a level, in a same level playing field as everyone else. And that really opened her eyes.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. you know, I, you know, you've done such a good job of, um, you know, articulating the the importance of advocating and, you know, teaching, um, which is so, so amazing to hear. So, you know, Alicia, congratulations to you for all that you've done and, you know, best of luck in your studies. I'm sure that you're and you're going into education. So you're you're well on your way to, uh, you know, educating the world about. Yeah. So thanks so much for joining and Hina, is there anything kind of from a legal perspective that you'd like to leave our listeners with?
2: Yeah, I just like to add on that accommodation is really a collaborative process. So um, it's a two way street where um, the student has to, you know, know what they need or try out different things. And the institution also has a responsibility to try out different things because accommodations are not going to be the same for everyone. It really depends on what works for you. So that's why what's so important with accommodations is not just um, the process of finding the accommodation, but the actual accommodation that's provided too. So I just wanted to leave everyone with that, that it's a two-way street and it's just what you need to get meaningful education for everyone.
1: Well, well said. I I think that is a perfect way to sum up today's episode that Accommodations are individual at the end of the day. We're all individual. We all learn. We all experience things differently. And having a collaborative process is, uh, is going to set you up for the best success possible. So, guys, thanks so much for joining today. Take care. Thanks. Thanks.
0: For more CNIB Foundation podcasts, visit cnib.ca slash podcasts.